Welcome to the 2014 Bevy Awards, presented by the Bird's Eye View Podcast. With appearances by Baltimore Ops. Section 336. Orioles Uncensored. Baltimore Sports Report. The OBP Podcast. Utah Street Report. And now, here are your hosts, Jake English and Scott Magnus. All right, Scott, it's that time. It's time for the 2014 Bevy Awards, and I could not be more excited. I cannot believe you let me in here with such a nice tuxedo on. It really is. It's it's a tuxedo from the top up, but down below, sir, we have a dress code here. Um, I was not informed of this, so I think there's going to be a lot of surprises tonight. We'll have to make do. Well, you know, the 2014 Bevy Awards are here, and, you know, we have such a great show to look ahead to. But if you'll, if you'll just excuse me for a moment, I, I want to take a quick look back at 2013. I feel like, you know, we started the 2013 Bevy Awards, you know, this big musical number, and, and well, as with so many things, we got it wrong. You mean we sang? Well, yes, that, that is very important. But but also, the, the opening was about us. It was about ourselves, the Bird's Eye View podcast, and, and that's just wrong. With our show, we're not the stars. We're the hack talent. The real stars of our show are the guys who bring us entertainment night in and night out. Sometimes it's more like torture than entertainment, though. All right, that's true. So I think for this year, for the 2014 Bevy Awards, we should start out with a look back to what I think was the seminal moment of the offseason, the decision to bring Nelson Cruz into the organization. Well, that does seem important, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but this is how I think it went down when Dan Duquette tried to sell that acquisition to Peter Angelos. Is it biogenesis, or the fact it costs a pick, or those crazy routes he takes out in the field? And though we know he swings so well, he's real expensive, so they tell me. But I think that I can ink him to a team-friendly deal. So he's a bit of a fixer-upper, he'll chase a few balls. But he's a silver slugger, a line of plugger, just keep him away from outfield walls. So he's a bit of a fixer-upper, but this we're certain of. We can't fix this fixer-upper up if we just ignore his glove. Is it that he's 34, or the drugs mentioned here to four? Or that baseball makes him tinkle in a cup. Are you holding back your wallet? Because spending makes you vomit. Well, don't forget that this guy can drive up the score. He's a bit of a fixer-upper, but take it from me. His baffle thunder, his agent blunder, will lead the O's to victory. So he's a bit of a fixer-upper, the kind we're looking for. Way to fix up this fixer-upper is to sign him to Baltimore. Why do we need a DH? Don't we have Nolan Rymold? 
Uh, yes, Mr. Angelos, it's... Let me put it this way. Baltimore's a fixer-upper, but it's a team on the rise. Pitching's a question, but I should mention this lineup's built to terrorize. So Baltimore's a fixer-upper, results they have been mixed. Get this DH problem finally solved, and the whole thing might be fixed. We aren't saying we can change him, cause people don't really change. We're only saying that Orioles' magic is powerful and strange. People make bad choices when it comes to PEDs. Bring him into this pub hop, and they'll bring out his best. Yes, Cruz will be his best. Everyone's a bit of a fixer-upper, free agents are a crapshoot. Team and player, they need each other, and our DH needs are quite acute. Free agents are a fixer-upper, and this we know is true. The only fixer-upper fixer that can fix his fixer-upper is Cruz. Nelson Cruz. Nelson Nelson Nelson. But for no more than $8 million. What? Wow, Jake. You've really reached a new low for the show. Congratulations. I, I thought I'd be the one. But um, you've stepped it up a notch. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I know that that uh, we said that we keep it shorter. So rather than spending too much time making fun of me, there'll be plenty of time on social media uh, for that. Why don't we just move on? You know, Jake, I think the biggest thing from the 2014 season is the way Steve Harris has taken advantage of his opportunities and become a starter. You know, without him, the ship would not have such a happy tone. And keeping with the frozen theme that you've established here now, here's the, here's the way I would see it. Do you want to be a starter or ride the bench with David Lowe? I think some hits are overdue. I started reminiscing about Lou Ford. Steve Pierce is getting lonely, seeing nobody on, just watching the strike on the pile on. With K, with K, with K. Please, I know you're better. People are asking for a trade. They say you have power. And I'm just trying to remember those days. We really need your Woba. Just piercing crews. What are you gonna do? Do you want to be a starter?
Fantastic claps. Whoo, boy, we have really done something here. Um, you know, just a few minutes into the bevies, Scott, do you think anyone's still listening? If not, it would be no different than any other episode of Bird's Eye View. But on the chance they are, let's get on with the show. Here's a look at the Orioles' offense. All right, to look at the offense for the Baltimore Orioles in 2014 for the first half of the season, I say, Scott, we just do a good old-fashioned good, the bad, and the ugly for what we've seen so far. Sounds like a good way to wrap things up. So go ahead, Jake. I'll let you get started. All right, here we go. The, I'm going to take the obvious one. I'm going to go chalk here. For the good for the 2014 season, I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz. Cruz has definitely picked up the slack where Chris Davis left it off from 2013. He's only an RBI away from having his fourth consecutive 25 home runs, 75 RBI season. And I know, Scott, that those are dumb back-of-the-baseball-card stats, but, I mean, even you can admit that they mean something. Oh, absolutely. They mean something. And that something Very is, little, but is something. that Nelson Cruz has been awfully good. All right, fine. You want a real stat? Okay. You love the WOBA. I love the WOBA. So far in 2014, Cruz has a WOBA of 393, which my reading tells me. Fangraphs lists as on the upper end of great and just shy of excellent. Uh, 393 is, I would consider, almost excellent. I said Fangraphs. Are you Fangraphs, sir? Uh, actually, technically, I am. Leave me be. Yeah. Depending on what position you think he should be categorized in based on his playing time, he exceeds the league average for DHs, which is around 337, and, and he exceeds that of left fielders, which is around 320. My good so far for 2014 for offense, Nelson Cruz. Okay. I'm going to go one better. I'm going to go with Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce has a 412 Woba, a 163 weighted runs created plus. In comparison to 2013, uh, Chris Davis, he had a 421 Woba and a 161 weighted runs created plus. We were talking about the first month where Nelson Cruz was almost identical to Chris Davis in terms of performance. Well, based off of Steve Pierce's performance over the past uh, month and a half, um, he is definitely um, on track to put up some great numbers. I'm expecting those numbers to curtail someone in the second half, but for the first half, you have to tip your cap to an individual that was designated for assignment by the Baltimore Orioles. Absolutely, and and we're just so lucky he came back. I love rooting for Steve Pierce. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, that's the good news. Can, I, can I go into the bad? Sure, let's right. go to the bad. My bad for, for the first half of the year has got to be Ryan Flaherty, and this is why. Hear me out here. Ryan Flaherty had a chance to showcase himself at third base when Manny Machado was hurt, even though everyone knew that Jonathan Scope was up here to get a real chance to take his job at second base. He failed to make himself essential in that time. He got a long look, and he failed to make himself anything other than what he is, a career utility player. He is useful, but he has officially put the question about Ryan Flaherty's ceiling to bed. This is it. This is all we're going to get for Ryan Flaherty this season. And frankly, it's disappointing. He's batting 226. His on-base percentage is under 300. The guy's simply not getting it done, and he's had a reduced bit of playing time to show for it. My bad, Ryan Flaherty. Well, I'm going to go with you one better, and that's an individual that had high hope coming out of spring training, and that's Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope had an absolute banner spring training and then has come out of the gate for the first half and hitting 261 for his Woba and 60 for his weighted runs created plus. He has worse numbers than Ryan Flaherty. 
I did not think that was possible. Well, it, it is possible. Now, again, we should put in perspective that, um, you know, Scope has a lot more plate appearances than Ryan Flaherty does. Um, but again, you look at his K percentage at 22.2%, and you look at, you know, all his numbers, including Babbitt, and they're just extremely low. Nelson, uh, Jonathan Scope does not look like a player that deserves to be up here at this time. All right. I, I think that there's nothing wrong with, with Jonathan Scope being here. I don't think he's costing us ball games, but I have no problem with you putting him in the bad category for the first half of the year. All right. One one better than, than bad. Let's go to ugly. My ugly for the first half of the season is David Lowe. Now, Lowe was practically handed the starter's job out there in, in left field and failed to show us anything. Dan Duquette assured us that we were going to love David Lowe. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't. Yeah, he's fast, but he can't get on base. He's become this team's 24th man, only ahead of Delman Young. And frankly, he has no future with this club. The thing about David Lowe that's so frustrating is that every once in a while you can see why someone might think it's there, but it's not. He's batting under the Mendoza line, and frankly, nothing in his stats show that he's going to be anything other than a drag on the offense and a defensive uh, replacement in late innings. And my ugly is the obvious choice for the first half, and it's Chris Davis. Chris Davis has been lackluster at the plate. Um, he's currently below the Mendoza line going into the All-Star break at 199. He only has a 306 Woba, and he has that 91 weighted runs created plus, which again is better than Jonathan Scope and Ryan Flaherty. But for an individual that was coming off a banner season last year at 162 weighted runs created plus, you would expect him to be at least above average, and right now he's been below average. You know, you look at his numbers, he's really been hitting into that shift. Um, He's been really pulling the ball and not really getting any opposite field power. Davis is aware of this. He's made mention of it in countless interviews. He's been working on it on the field, in the batting cages. It's just something that he's going to have to eventually turn around. I think it's going to happen. If you look at his BABIP and you look at his expected BABIP based off his line drives, there's a major correction factor coming in the second half. So Chris Davis... I'm glad you got your ugly out, just like you did last year during the second half. But now it's time to return to the first part of 2013 and have a banner second half. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Zach Wilt of Baltimore Sports Report. And now, the nominees for the best hold of the first half. Baseball is filled with meaningless statistics. There are numbers that I look at and marvel at how anyone would waste a second of their time or effort in thinking that they say anything about a player's performance. But perhaps there's none more meaningless than the hold. What's a hold? Here, I'll define it via Wikipedia. A player enters a game in a safe situation, that is, when all the following three conditions apply. A. He appears in relief. B. He is not the winning pitcher. And C, he qualifies under one of the following conditions. One, he enters the game with a lead of no more than three runs and maintains that lead for at least one inning. Two, he enters the game, regardless of the count, with a potential tying run either on base or at bat or on deck. And three, he pitches effectively for at least three innings. So without further ado, I present the Orioles candidates for the best hold of the first half. April 21st, 2014, Ryan Webb, one inning, no hits, no earned runs, zero walks, three Ks, 15 pitches, and nine strikes. Webb came in to protect a three-run lead against the arch-rival Boston Red Sox, and not only did Webb get a 1-2-3 inning, 
but he recorded three strikeouts on just 15 pitches. Bravo, sir. April 23rd, 2014, Darren O'Day, an inning and a third, two hits, no earned runs, no walks, two Ks, 23 pitches, 17 strikes. The Blue Jays jumped out to an early 6-1 lead over the Orioles, but that didn't deter Baltimore's offense or the side-arming gunslinger Darren O'Day. The Orioles took the lead in the sixth. O'Day protected Baltimore's cushion over the seventh and eighth inning, setting up closer Tommy Hunter for the save. July 3rd, 2014, Darren O'Day, an inning and two-thirds, no hits, no earned runs, zero walks, 1K, 16 pitches, 15 strikes. The gunslinger returns again to set up new closer Zach Britton. This time, O'Day keeps the opponents, the Texas Rangers in this case, off the bases entirely, and he does so with 15 of his 16 pitches for strikes. And the final candidate is July 5th, 2014, Brian Mattis, a third of an inning, no hits, no earned runs, zero walks, and zero strikeouts, four pitches and two strikes. What hold list would be complete without Brian Mattis versus David Ortiz? In this one, Mattis gets Poppy to fly out to center. It truly never gets old. And the winner is Darren O'Day on July 3rd. A crucial win for the O's as they swept a four-game series against the Rangers. Congratulations to all of this year's candidates. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Cal Renner and Sal Ronaldo of the OBP Podcast. Hey guys, it's Cal from the OBP podcast, heard weekly at obpapparel.com. I am joined tonight by my co-host and cousin, Cousin Sal. Cousin Sal, welcome to the Bevies. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. We're pouring a beer out for Joe Pa. If only Joe Pa could be here, but we're just honored that these guys had us on to help present some awards for the Bevies. Absolutely. Now, Sal, we had a bunch of awards that we wanted to give out tonight. I mean, we had the Kevin Gregg Memorial Burn It Down Award, the Brandon Fahey Memorial Most Awkwardly Fitting Uniform Award, the Radimus Liz Worst Rookie Performance, the Luke Scott Angriest Conservative, the David Segui. Well, we won't even go to David Segui one. But we had a ton of these awards that we want to give out. Unfortunately, we have a limited amount of time tonight. So we picked our two favorites to share with everyone here listening on the bevies. So let's go ahead and start it off. Sal, our first award that we're giving out is... Okay, the award is the Luis Ayala Memorial Most Likely to Bang Your Girlfriend Award. The nominees are Brian Mattis, J.J. Hardy, and Ryan Flaherty. Cal, who won? And the winner is, as I crackle the envelope... The winner is Ryan Flaherty, most likely to bang your girlfriend. That's right, Mr. F. Flash, as he's known around these parts, most likely to bang your girlfriend. I mean, the guy goes by the nickname Mr. F. I mean, how can you how can you not expect that guy? Plus, Sal, as we know, he takes a lot of crap from the fans, and basically his only way to exact revenge is to scope out your girlfriend on Twitter, tell her to meet him up at a Starbucks, Starbucks. buy her a drink, and then take her home, and, you know, that's he'll have sweet revenge on you. I mean, they don't call him Flash for nothing. That's true. He, he earned this reward. Congratulations, Ryan. That's right. All right, now, Sal, our second and final award of the night is the Sydney Ponson most likely to get drunk with the fans award. 
And the nominees are TJ Dubbears, McFarland, Tommy Hunter, and Darren, I'm not really Irish O'Day. Sal, who is the winner? Guys, this is a great award. We all remember Ponstone's days of drinking with O's fans on the cruise liner. So I'm happy to announce that the winner is Tommy Big Game Hunter. This bud's for you. Way to go, Tommy. I mean, who wouldn't want to have a beer with that guy? Am I right? That dude's just a barrel of fun. Who knows, Sal? Maybe one day he'll be in a Reuben Knight as well, just like Sir Sidney was. Dare to dream. He might not be a knight, but at least he has a bevy. Absolutely. Guys, thanks for tuning in and listening to the bevies. Make sure you guys check us out weekly at obpapparel.com. Now back to our two lovely hosts. Here's a look at the Orioles' defense. All right, let's go ahead and do the good, the bad, and the ugly for the first half when it comes to the Orioles' defense. Uh, As per usual, I'll go ahead and start off, Scott. My good is your bad from the offense, and that's Jonathan Scope. See, when it comes to the defense, Scope has shown us dumb fans why Buck Showalter thinks that he can stick around at this level. Scope's strong arm has participated in 54 double plays, and he has adjusted well to the overshifting, I mean, excuse me, defensive alignments that he's seen here in the big leagues. Scope isn't simply not hurting us out there. He's holding down second base at the major league level and giving the Orioles the peace of mind that if the bat comes around, this young player might just be the answer. Um, you're absolutely right. Jonathan Scope has done a great job in terms of turning the double play. But on the same point, he's also had several errors. In fact, um, he actually ranks below average in terms of the amount of errors that he has compared to an average uh, second baseman. His range is also slightly above average. But again, he really ranks as one of the best second basemen for his ability to turn the double play, which comes to my good. And uh, it's got to be J.J. Hardy. J.J. Hardy has been amazing um, in terms of his double play turning, but also he has displayed a better amount of range in the field, in my opinion, as well. Jake, um, I have a feeling that you're going to have a different opinion on this matter. Well, I have a different opinion because my bad is J.J. Hardy, but the reason that Hardy is my bad is because the Orioles' defense has been so good. And it's been so good for the last couple of years that I feel like in order to pick out a bad, you've really got to nitpick. So, Scott Magnus, nitpick, I will. My bad for 2014, uh, the first half, as far as defense is concerned, is J.J. Hardy, only because we expect so much. And he went through that vicious dry spell where he was making errors in several consecutive games, and it cost the Orioles a couple of games. And yeah, this is more a case of me having to find somebody than anything else. But still, when he's having a down year from a power numbers standpoint, Hardy is only going to hurt his free agency value if he can't be the perfect fielder he's been for the last couple of years. All right, my bad for the uh, for the team is going to go to Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz, as as good as he is in the you know in the, at the plate, he uh, had some moments in left field, and I think we all were aware of this. But I think it's also great to point out that having Steve Pierce be able to come into the lineup, Steve Pierce has been a above average left fielder, and being able to take Nelson Cruz out of left field and put him in DH and put Steve Pierce back out in left field is a major boon for this team. So Nelson Cruz, as good as you are at the plate, you are bad in the field, and thank God that Steve Pierce is here to be able to take and field left field. I cannot agree more. The Nelson Cruz left field experience is too much for me to handle. It's just too much. All right, I'm going to go into the ugly, and for defense, my ugly this season is Steve Clevenger. 
The pride of Pigtown was sent back to the minors because he was too focused on his hitting and he wasn't getting it done behind the plate for manager Buck Showalter. That led the way to the Orioles to acquire Nick Hundley and it pushed Caleb Joseph into the starter's job. Caleb Joseph, the same Caleb Joseph, who's a four-year double-A Eastern League star. Now, Clevenger happens to be back with the big club for the time being, but he'll be back on the bus to Norfolk once Norris and Gonzalez come back to take their turns in the rotation. Scotty, what's your ugly? Uh, my ugly is a double-edged sword, um, but it's going to come back to a topic that we've talked about, and it's going to be Nick Markakis. Now, Nick Markakis has been good in terms of his arm and his putouts. Absolutely amazing. I can't take that away from him. Are you saying that Nick Markakis puts out well? He puts out well, yes. But I am equally concerned about his range as a right fielder. Nick Markakis currently rates as a negative 4.6 in terms of range, in terms of um, fielding dynamics. To put that in perspective, Jake... Nelson Cruz in left field has a negative 4.0, which means that Nick Markakis has worse range than Nelson Cruz does right now. I, I just, you know, I hear you and I understand yeah. where those metrics come from. I do, but I just, I, I have a hard time swallowing that. I, I really do. I think we have a hard time swallowing it because of the plays that he makes in the field and especially off that right field uh, carom. But I think we also have to look back at the situation of him going from right field into right center, and he always seems to have struggled making those dynamic shifts over to right center. I think he makes some great plays in order to get in position, but getting in position is not range. Getting in position is just really good fundamental baseball. So Nick Markakis, like I said, we're going to Nick pick here for an ugly, but Nick Markakis, I'm a little concerned about your range. And again, that's going to impact my ability to say, I want to give him a long-term contract at the end of the season. All right. I don't like it, but I'll take it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alan Smith and Sam Dingman of Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. Now, that's not right. No, 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 no. Hello, bird's eye view listeners. Right. Sam and Alan here, excited to be a part of the second annual Bevy's Award Show. You might know us as one of Bird's Eye View's sister wife podcasts from the Baltimore Sports Report Network, but you might not know that we're also doing things like tweeting at B Morons or that we have our own special corner of the internet at www.bemorons.com. Now, for the first annual BEVs, we were proud to present two important awards. The Dan Duquette Reclamation Project of the Year Award, given to the best scrap heap pickup over the first half of the season, and the Brady Anderson 96 Season Memorial Award for power that we hope isn't too good to be true, given to the most surprising and unexpected burst of power before the All-Star break. The first award went to Chris Dickerson, Aye. and the second went to <coughs> Chris Davis. Ugh. Well, this year, we've got a whole new set of nominees and brand new awards to uh, award, I guess. So let's get to it. This year's nominees for the Dan Duquette Reclamation Project of the Year are... First up, the auditor, Ryan Webb. The Big Bumblemental has pitched to a 3.35 ERA and a 109 whip over 37 innings. What he gives up in coordination and character, he makes up for in dependability and a pretty good fastball. Our second nominee, the Dell Razor himself. Delman Young has slashed 310, 339, 431 in a limited number of at-bats this year, and notably has thrown zero bats at anyone or tried to choke a single Jew. Whoa, Nelly! Nelson Cruz, for the low, low price of $8 million a year, is the odds-on favorite to win not only the Dan Duquette Reclamation Project, but also the best signing of the year and perhaps the American League MVP. He's hit 28 home runs and driven in 73. 
numbers that I think the Orioles might have been happy with if they were for the season, not just the All-Star break. And Johan Santana, who, while he never technically helped the big club, sure did give us a lot to talk about for a while. Notably absent from this list, the big-ticket free agent signing, Ubaldo Jimenez. Not only has he been a severe disappointment, rocking a 3-8 and record over 18 starts, but he is costing us millions. And the winner of the Dan Duquette Reclamation Project of the Year Award is... Look, obviously the answer is Nelson Cruz. The amount of value that we've gotten from him for $8 million, which is, for those counting along at home, less than we're paying Chris Davis to bet 198 just $300,000 shy of what we're paying Matt Wieters to sit out the rest of the 2014 season, and about one-third of the salary that the Yankees are paying CC Sabathia to sit out the rest of the 2014 season, is frankly absurd. And we should all feel pretty confused about the value of the dollar in this marvelous <laughs> and imperfect country that we live in. Even as John Fried Chicken and Video Games Lackey takes pot shots at Nelly for his biogenesis connections, the All-Star Game voters have clearly decided that we have to take Cruz's achievements thus far at face value. Or they just dig the long ball. What we cannot do, however, ladies and gentlemen, is get so fired up about Nelson Cruz that we start entertaining the ludicrous notion of signing him to a lucrative multi-year contract following this season. That's not what we do with Dan Duquette Reclamation Projects. We milk them for a year and then trade them to the Rangers and or the Cubs. For God's sakes here, people, the man is 34 years old, has positively terrifying history of injuries, and is an avowed steroid user. Now, speaking of steroid users, our next award is the 2014 Brady Anderson's 96 season Memorial Award for power that we hope isn't too good to be true. As we mentioned before, last year's winner was Chris Davis, and while his power streak did extend for a few months after he received the award, it's starting to feel like it might, in fact, have been too good to be really true. Let's hope that this year's winners fare a little bit better in the long run. The 2014 nominees are... Remember that Nelson Cruz guy we mentioned before? Mr. Cruz has added an OPS rate of 938 to his 28 home runs and seems to be hitting 545 in 11 at-bats with the bases loaded. Good lord. Not too shabby and good for our first nomination of the year. Nominee number two is the Orioles catcher position. That's right. When you cobble together everything done by the men who squat, we're looking at 11 home runs and 20 doubles. Plus that one time Steve Clevenger managed to hit a triple, which has to mean something. Unfortunately, a lion's share of all that hitting was done by deposed catcher Matthew Wieters, but like the All-Star selection, this is a first-half award. And our third nominee for the 2014 Brady Anderson's 96th season Memorial Award for power that we hope isn't too good to be true is Team Steve Batman Torque Pierce. Stevie is slashing 326, 381, 581 with 10 home runs and 30 RBI in just 172 ABs, meaning he's just shy of the pace that Nelson Cruz and Edwin Encarnacion are currently holding. And to think he was on waivers after the first month of the year. And the winner is clearly, clearly Team Steve. Clearly. Sam, if we have one legacy as a podcast and it is getting the phrase Team Steve into popular lexicon, I'm going to feel okay about that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire. It's popping up all over the place, and I, for one, could not be happier. How did this happen? Where is this coming from? Nearly 100 points above his career average. Now, we know, Baltimoreans and Bird's Eye View listeners, that there is no way that this lasts, but we are excited to sit back and enjoy it as long as we can. 
which, if we look to the tried-and-true Ty Wigginton corollary, should be about three weeks after which he will spiral into a tailspin of unspeakable terribleness and end up on the Colorado Rockies, where he'll likely be forced into shortstop duty after Troy Tulowitzki is traded to the Yankees. And everything is terrible once again. Well, thank you for tuning in to this year's BEV Awards. We now return you to Scott and Jake in the studio. Thank you so much, Sam. God, that was depressing. Scott and I are actually here to present on behalf of Utah Street Report, uh, a great site for all of your your reading needs. But when we asked them to participate in the bevies, they were so excited about it, but refused. Scott, they refused to read anything and send us in an audio clip. So I guess it falls on us to to work our way through it. So on behalf of... Derek is still trying to figure out that modern-day configuration of a microphone. Yeah, yeah. So on behalf of Utah Street Report, we are going to present the Alex Burnett Memorial Forgotten Man. Who? Yeah, now this award is for a player that has played for the squad so far in 2014, but you are least likely to remember it all when you reminisce when what hopefully... Uh, happens is that the the Orioles win their first division uh, crown since 1997. No, I mean, really, who's Alex Burnett? He had a mustache. We talked about this. Oh, okay. You say so. Don't interrupt uh, Derek when I'm speaking. All right, hang on. So our nominees are as follows. Jamile Weeks. Now, Weeks has played in three games for the Birds this season and went uh, three for 11 with a triple. While he's done quite well in Norfolk, it looks like the bats of both Ryan Flaherty and Jonathan Scope might be heating up here as the All-Star break approaches. Barring injury, it's not likely that we see more of weeks in Baltimore. So yeah, those folks who wanted the O's to sell high on Jim Johnson, you were probably right. Next, we have Preston Gilmet. Gilmet has pitched 9.1 innings and 9 appearances with a 5.79 ERA. He was, 26th, he was the 26th man for Saturday's doubleheader in Boston, but has not appeared in a game for the Birds since June 5th. Next, we have Josh Stinson. Stinson was gangbusters in spring training for the Bird, but unfortunately couldn't carry that success over to the regular season. He's pitched in eight total games, uh, totaling 13 innings while racking up a fat 6.23 ERA. He last appeared on June 13th. He's been even worse for Norfolk, sporting a 7.91 ERA. He hasn't had any four home run games, though, so that's a positive. Oh, I thought you said it was pretty good. Yeah, he's, he's okay. I love Josh Stinson. Lastly, we have Ramon Ramirez, who pitched a scoreless inning in Texas in his Orioles debut on June 30th and was promptly designated for assignment on July 6th to make room for Kevin Gosman. Nothing quite like a player coming up from the York Revolution to uh, sign with the Baltimore Orioles. Absolutely. All right. So here we go. The Alex Burnett Memorial Forgotten Man. It goes to Ramon Ramirez. Shocker. The independent league relief pitcher pulling up the upset and saying, hey, I was here for one game and now I'm in. Wait a second. Not Norfolk. Wait, where am I? I'm in Bowie. Really? Bowie? You sent me to Bowie? Well, he could be hanging out in Aberdeen with uh, Kevin Gosman and Steve Johnson and Bundy and all those guys. Yeah. Thanks for making me feel terrible again. Here's a look at the Orioles' starting rotation. Jake, we're going to go and start with the good, the bad, and the ugly on the starting rotation. Let me just tell you right now, the starting rotation as a whole has been really ugly. To break out a few numbers for you for, through the first half of the season, the Orioles are dead last 
in terms of FIP and XFIP so far this season. That's bad. Um, you know, looking at the rest of their numbers, they're not terrible. But again, they have a low strikeout and a high walk percentage, which is a critical key in terms of that FIP and XFIP. Um, let's go through who's been good, who's been bad, and who's been ugly. Jake, who's your good for the first half of the season? All right, the good was tough, but I'm going to go with Bud Norris. And look, Bud Norris might have an ERA that's just under four, and his FIP and his XFIP, which, as you indicated, are a better predictor of performance, have him where we would expect him, between 450 and 5. But that having been said, Norris has been one of the more dependable starters for the Orioles, averaging above six innings pitched per start, and frankly, that was a problem for a good portion of the season for the starters. Until Tillman seemed to have found himself, and while we still wait for Abaldo Jimenez, Bud Norris was taking the role as the stopper that this team needed, and for certain stretches, he was absolutely money. So for my first half good, it's Bud Norris. Okay, Jake. Um, I definitely think that Bud Norris is great. As the uh, great Bert Rudy from Section 336 would point out, he has been stud Norris so far this uh, this season. So definitely Bud Norris has been good. But I think another individual that we need to point out, which is great, has been Wee and Chen. Chen, you know, had a you know a tough luck um, start of the season in terms of how he was being hit around in terms of Babbitt. Um, his first few games that he started with was 545 for Babbitt and 400 in terms of Babbitt. But the one thing that kept Chen in these games was his ability to not throw walks. In his first five games, he only threw one walk. That probably has a lot to do with the reason that he's not giving up multi-home run home runs when he when he lets them get out of the park. I think you're spot on here. So there is another situation, too, is over the past few games, he has seen his home run totals elevate. But again, at the beginning of this year, he only threw one home run in his first five games. And over his first 10 games, he only threw four home runs. So his home runs per nine innings was amazing. Now that has come back up now to 1.47, which is historically where Chen has been. And that's typically a custom for you know a fly ball pitcher in his case. But I, I will come back and say that, you know, like we just said, having the ability to go out and get 6.49 Ks per nine and give up only 1.56 walks per nine is a, you know, a, a good portion of success. Um, I, I just think, you know, Chen is overlooked and I understand what you're going to come back and say is Chen is not pitching as many innings as Norris is, but I'm also going to point out that the Orioles have averaged right at five and two thirds innings. And the success rate of wins is not just about getting quality starts. If you give up five and two thirds innings, but you only give up one run, that's a lot better than going six innings and giving up three runs. Okay. Uh, I'm going to, Agree to disagree here. I don't feel like he's getting deep enough into games, period. But I will bow to your superior knowledge of the win probability scale. Fine. That sounds great. He he can be good. It's like, it's like a 24% difference, by the way. Like there's like 75%. And then if you go a quality start and you go six innings and three runs, it's like 48% win chance. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Can I do my bad? Yeah, you can do your bad. All right. My bad for the first start of the season is Chris Tillman. And yes... He seems to have settled down a little bit in July, and he's he's been okay. But he had some really terrible stretches in 2014. His first-inning struggles are becoming stuff of legend, and not in the good way. Tillman has given up five or more earned runs in 20% of his starts, and this is not getting it done, particularly from the guy who's the quote-unquote staff ace. My bad for the first part of the season, Chris Tillman. 
You know, Jake, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. I don't think there's anybody better to point out to and say Chris Tillman was bad. Um, I, I think coming off the season that he did last year and the aspect of showing promise of having ace-like starts, for example, going the complete game, and then coming out the next game and only going one inning, it's this inconsistency with Chris Tillman, which is just infuriating. He shows such promise, and then he comes back out the next game, and it's, up. Oh, it's bad Tillman this today. And that just frustrates the heck out of you when you're looking for a good start. Um, you know, coming back to what we just talked about with Chen and Norris, they might not be the greatest, but they give you consistency. And if they're going to give you consistency and we can get to the bullpen, I feel like this team can stay in, stay in ball games. And the other thing is that this offense is good enough to cover just average, but Tillman can't provide even just average at times. And you 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 mentioned it right there. You know, can't get out of ball games early, and and that's something the, the offense just can't can't overcome. All right. So, Jake, who is your ugly so far for the season? All right, my ugly, my ugly is the fact that Kevin Gosman has only made seven starts for the Orioles this season. In that time, he's been, in my opinion, one of the best starters for the Orioles. And Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter can make whatever excuses they want about saving Kevin Gosman for the stretch run, but the truth is is that he has been a mismanaged asset. I'm convinced he's the real deal, and just about everything we've seen from him confirms that. Even when he hasn't been at his sharpest, the recoveries I've seen him make this season have me really excited. Take, for instance, when he got into trouble at Fenway Park against the Red Sox, but he was able to reach back and bring the heat to strike his way out of the trouble. Now, Scott, I don't have any stats for that, but he's passing the eye test. And the ugly portion of the starting pitching for this part of the season is that Kevin Gosman hasn't been more of a part of it. Um, I actually was able to pull the stats up for that Red Sox game, and that was the two strikeouts that he got to get out of that inning. Um, Based off of the filth factor, um, it was at the highest level, so... You know, he did a great job that That's game. That's the thing. You know, he only pitched uh, five and a third innings in that game. It wasn't a great start, but the Orioles won that game because he was able to limit the damage and move on to the bottom of the inning to let the offense get back at it. I thought it was a great start given the conditions. And, and one of the reasons why you think it was a great start, too, was the amount of strikeouts to walk ratio that he had that game. He had seven strikeouts in that game to only two walks. So, again, coming back to his numbers for that game, he had a 1.69 ERA, a 1.64 FIP, and a 2.35 XFIP. And, and I mentioned the heat. He wasn't just getting away with stuff. He pitched that game. Right. He got exhausted by the number of pitches he had to throw because that's what the Red Sox do. But he was a pitcher and a darn good one. Right. The thing that uh, Kevin Gossman is going to have to work on extensively um, in, in this coming season is getting his strikeout-to-walk ratio back up. Um, when he's been kind of going back and forth, back and forth through here, his strikeout to walk ratio has really been inconsistent and begins, comes back to a command issue at that point um, and consistency. And that's what Palmer was railing about of saying, you know, he really needs to be up here every five days and get that consistency so that he can come back and be that great strikeout to walk pitcher. You know, when he was in the minor leagues before, he was typically around a four um, strikeout per walk ratio. Right now this season, he's at two. So there's a definitely drop off. If you're at a four, you're going to be one of the top pitchers in Major League Baseball. So Kevin Gossman has the ability, um, I would say. I don't think he's right at a four in the Major League Baseball. But even if he can get around a three, that's going to dramatically improve the Orioles' rotation going forward. So Kevin Gossman is a bright spot, and it would be very interesting to see how he does for the rest of the second half. 
All right, I'm I'm anxious to hear your ugly. Lay it on me. Uh, I bought a Jimenez. Really? I, really? I'm unbelievable. I know. Wow. Um, it comes back to the simple point of when he was signed, the control and uh, mechanics was a big concern. Um, his walk ratio has been absolutely horrible. Um, it's right around five and a half to six. Um, and again, we've seen that with him in previous years. Um, but then having it dovetailed down in the second half of the season in 2013 made you think, well, maybe he got it together. Well, obviously, it doesn't look like he got it together. There's only one positive I can take out of this, and he has shown the ability to improve both in the second half of 2012 and 2013. So maybe this will be the May resurgence that we were promised earlier this year. God, here's hoping. Now, yes. now he's hurt right now. Yes. He rolled his ankle, and I think it's an actual real injury. Sure it is. No, I think it is. Okay, sure it is. <laughs> but regardless of whether it is or not, I think that... I can tell you what happened right now is... Dan Duquette snuck out there and like black, like pine tar and got out of his car and just kind of dug a hole right where his car is. And then as soon as Savannah's got out, he's like, oh, oh, what happened to my ankle? And Dan Duquette just sneakily said, ha ha, another 25 man roster spot. All right. Regardless of whether or not I'm going to ignore that, I'm just going to move on. It started with Dan Duquette and blackface and I just ran from it. That's true. It did start with Dan Duquette and blackface. <laughs> whether or not Abaldo Menez is legitimately injured, the time away from the game. This would be a great time for a vaudeville song, by the way. I think will help. Also, what will help is obviously the rehab starts that he'll have after the, D, the DL stint. Hopefully he can get his mechanics down. Uh, fine-tuned, get them a little more sharp so that he can be the pitcher that we know he's capable of being. Because he's been awful, but he has shown bright spots every once in a while. And again, it comes back to the situation. He hasn't been great. He hasn't had a standout game, but he has kept a lot of games close. And a lot of these games that, you know, if the Orioles would have scored a few runs, again, he's one of the uh, poorest, you know, getting runs from his own team in order to get these games won. So I don't think it's as bad as we think it is. But again, looking at that walk ratio, that's going to kill you in the long term. So that needs to be improved. So, Jake, let's get back to giving out some awards. And Utah Street Report, again, great guys over there. Derek Arnold does a great job over there. Um, he even uh, is pretty darn professional in the press box. So kudos to him. Um, they had an award um, for the Jim Johnson, Why Are You Breaking My Heart Like This? Just Let Me Love You Award. And, you know, I know I don't know how you feel, but Jim Johnson was one of my favorite Orioles of all time. Um, whenever the Foo Fighters came on, um, it was just like, all right, time to rock it out. And you and I had the tradition of basically pulling out our phones and playing um, the Pretender every single time he came in. Um, and every time he blew a save last year, it was just a crushing situation for the both of us. Because, again, we were like, all right, you know, send in your skeletons. And then it was like, you know, you just made Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters kind of miserable. How do, how do you do that? Um, I will co-sign every bit of that. And I know that, that people love to hate on Jim Johnson, but I think they fail to remember what he gave us in 2012 and 2013. And even... The man had 100 saves. Even in the most frustrating of times when he blew save after, sla- after save, he also gave us amazing saves yeah he, he gave us the the best part of a resurgence of his franchise and and you know when the food fighters came on and came in yards if you weren't moved by that moment when yep. he trotted onto the field you don't have a pulse and you don't bleed orange and black so for all the revisionist historians out there jim johnson was a great oriole and is was a great part of that magical 2012 season 2012 alds game number two 
if you didn't get pumped up seeing him run out and close that game, shame on you. You're not an Orioles fan. Absolutely. Um, so let's go through the nominees for the Why Are You Breaking My Heart Like This? Just Let Me Love You Award. The nominees are Chris Davis. My oh my, how the money crush has fallen. He went from winning last year's best O's jersey to wear outside of Baltimore Award to now the subject of bench him calls and um, frozen songs by myself. Um, as we've talked about, he's been flirting with the Mendoza line. Um, he, you know, we're looking for him to return back to even 2012 form. It doesn't even have to be the first half of 2013 form. Another individual is Abado Jimenez. We just covered him in the starting rotation. Absolutely atrocious, but again, a four-year, $50 million contract over the offseason. It really raises the question of whether Peter Angelos would open his pay, uh, his uh, paychecks or his pocketbook again in order to sign a hefty free agent or whether he's going to go on the aspect of saying, I'm sorry, Dan, to catch you only have $8 million to go and sign your free agents. Um, other people that have been disappointing, Tommy Hunter losing the closer spot. Um, who knew that Big Game Hunter couldn't close out the games. Really disappointing. Not seductive. Not seductive at all. Other individuals, Matt Wieters, um, again, being hurt, um, you know, losing him through the season, that's a big, big um, breaking of the heart because, again, we've had to kind of suffer through Caleb Joseph and Nick Henley. And, again, their defense has been good, but, again, you come back and look at their offense and they just can't compare to Matt Wieters. Gives you a greater appreciation for how good Matt Wieters is at the plate. Um, and then our final tip of the cap goes to Nolan Reimold. Um, again, you know, he has all the chances in the world, but he kept on getting hurt, was designated for assignment. The Blue Jays picked him up and within four games hurt once again. So Nolan Reimold, you really, really break our heart to see you constantly hurt. So Jake, who was the winner of this award? The winner was Chris Davis. Chris Davis, again, I think that's an absolute spot-on selection of, you know, no one in the world would have thought that Chris Davis would have been batting like this. We covered this last week in the podcast. Chris Davis right now in terms of offensive war is at negative 0.1, which means that he is just above, uh, just below a replacement-level player in terms of offense. Um, I do, like I said, we already talked about this. He's going to rebound in the second half. Don't worry, Orioles fans. Calm you down. Don't say bench him. Don't say trade him. Let's move on. And let's never talk about Frozen songs and Chris Davis ever again. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt Sroka, Josh Sroka, and Bert Rohde of Section 336. Hey, Section 336 here, and we were thrilled to participate in the second annual Bevy competition. Competition? Bevy Awards. Awards. Awards, thank you. It's not a competition. It's, a, <laughs> it's an awards. And we are bringing you the zaniest Orioles quote of the year. The zaniest Orioles quote. I'll go first. My quote is from, we have three options here that we chose from. The first one is Adam Jones. And he said this in reference to play, uh, fans running on the field. I think it's idiotic for people to run on the field. And I think the punishment needs to be a lot harsher. And they should let us have a shot to kick them with our metal spikes on because it's stupid. You look like an idiot when you run on the field. I remember a couple years ago, one dude broke his ankle in Baltimore. I was laughing at him. I wish he shattered his femur because it's stupid. It's just plain old stupid. Anybody who does it, I wish the cops tased the hell out of them. I wish that. (laughs) 
That was a classic one. Mine comes from, we all remember the controversy that arose when the Baltimore Orioles put up a billboard just outside of Nets Park in D.C. Oh, yes. And the D.C. DC Sports Radio had a field day with it, including friend of our show, Chad Dukes from 106.7 The Fan in D.C. He said, our team is the Washington Nationals, and we don't like this billboard. If I had my druthers, the Nationals would go on the other side of the billboard and slap a big fat W and say, we won our division a couple years back. We've got more superstars. We've got a newer stadium. We've got better food. And we don't think Natty Bo is worth drinking. All of those (laughs) things that make this area better than that area, of which there are a plethora, I would emphasize. I like I like this rotating between each other. It sounds like we're doing one of those infomercials for like a best of CD as we go about. So here's a great Buck classic quote where John Lackey made some accusations in reference to Nelson Cruz and maybe the PDE, PED quote. So Joe Walter was asked about it later and he says, there's so many insinuations, quite frankly, about people in every club. You usually don't hear those comments after a shutout or something. Every uh, everybody needs to make sure that their own backyard is clean, which is a pretty harsh comment. Yeah, and everyone knows what he's talking about there. So the bevy finalists are for the zaniest quote. We have Buck Showalter and his quotes about Lackey. Then we have Chad Dukes and his quote about the Oriole fans. And lastly, we have Adam Jones and his quote about the idiot running on the field. And the winner is of the 2014 bevy for zaniest quotes goes to. Adam Jones and his it's idiotic for people to run on the field quote. <laughs> Congratulations, Adam Jones. It's like a nice golf clap for that. Nice proper. Yeah. So Adam Jones can put on his mantle with the gold gloves and the all-stars and all that jazz. He can put a nice little bevy on there. Put a bevy on it. <laughs> Way to go, Adam Jones. All right, Jake. We're going to give out one of our awards now, and that is going to be Bird's Eye Views. Biggest surprise performance in 2014. And uh, there's not much of a list, actually. Um, Let's go through the nominees, though. First up, Steve Pierce. Again, completely out of the blue. Designated for assignment. Comes back and says, can't believe you designated me for assignment. I'm going to prove you all wrong. And makes a solid contribution while Chris Davis goes out with his oblique string. Steve Pierce has shed his nickname, Who the Hell is Steve Pierce, and has simply become, Where is Steve Pierce? Steve Pierce. <laughs> Another surprise performance of 2014 goes to Abaldo Jimenez. Abaldo Jimenez, when he was signed, was, you know, promised to Baltimore Orioles fans of, up, oh, you know, this is the guy that's going to be the ace with Chris Tillman. Um, you know, it's going to be a question of which one is going to be the better person, but now you have a legitimate number one, number two combo to start your rotation. And nothing further, womp, could, womp, nothing womp. further could be from the from the point for both Tillman and Jimenez. So Jimenez being the fifty million dollar free agent acquisition is a surprise performance in terms of a negative standpoint. Because here at Bird's Eye View, we like to bring the negatives with the positive. Speaking about negative, Chris Davis again a complete surprise performance about how poorly he has done so far this first half of the season. Um, we are not going to cover this anymore, but Chris Davis, clean your stuff up. Um, and again, the final nomination is Nelson Cruz. I think anyone that would have expected him to come in here and perform in the way he has, um, is completely 
crazy and is probably on drugs. So Nelson Cruz, stay. Whoa, 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 whoa. easy on the probably on drugs thing. That's oh, that's a little sensitive. Yeah. Look, oh, yeah. we 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 knew that Nelson Cruz was going to be all right. We didn't know he was going to do this. We thought he was going to be above average at best. Sure. We might have thought we was like, oh, hollow chip on his shoulder. If he can give some contributions to us as a DH and be better than Nolan Reimold, hallelujah. But he has been far and above and beyond what we would have expected, especially for an $8 million contract. All right, Scott. So the biggest surprise performance in 2014 goes to... Steve Pierce, everybody. It has to be Steve Pierce. An individual that is designated for assignment during the season and still comes back and dominates the Major League Baseball and is a top 10 in terms of major sabermetric status such as WOBA and weighted runs created plus, Steve Pierce has to be the biggest surprise performance of 2014. Think about it this way. He could have gone to another team in that period. He easily, I mean, the Blue Jays were interested in him. He easily could be with the Blue Jays. Just think how different the playoff race would be right now if he would have went to the Blue Jays. No. No, I won't. Okay. Steve Pierce was an absolute runaway in our voting. Uh, He took 66% of the votes. And, Scott, I don't know if you remember, but I actually saw a Steve Pierce jersey at the game last time I was there. Was it his father? May have been. Okay. Well, that's great to hear that Steve Pierce is getting the recognition that he needs to get. Here's a look at the Orioles' bullpen. All right, let's do it. Let's recap the bullpen for the Baltimore Orioles so far this season. I'm going to start us off and go with my good, and my good is Brad Brock. Now, Brock, who I picked to make this club out of spring training, has proved himself to be invaluable as a long man out of the pen. He has single-handedly saved series by being able to absorb innings. And I don't want to make this sound like empty empty hyperbole, but I think that Brock has had a huge influence on this pen, even if he doesn't generally pitch the sexy innings. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, He's definitely had some big games. But you have to look at Zach Burton and say he has to be the good. He was abs- he's been absolutely dominating this year. His ground ball to fly ball ratio is absolutely unbelievable. Um, it's right around 10 right now as it stands. Um, Zach Burton deserves this. To be able to come in as a closer and replace Tommy Hunter and actually succeed in it, and we even mentioned as a possible All-Star candidate, Zach Burton is the obvious good for this bullpen. If Zach Burton doesn't become the closer, this is a bullpen and this uh, that is completely in shambles, and we're having a completely di- different discussion at this time at the halfway point of the season. Oh, I agree. I will say that, however, that Zach Britton is only getting all star consideration in Birdland. Uh, okay, that, that fine. If you want to spin it that way, go for go for it. All right. Well, I'm going to spin further and go into my bad. My bad for the first part of the 2014 season is Brian Mattis. Look. The dude's got one job at this point, and that's David Ortiz, and that's because he can't do anything else right. After making it fully clear that he cannot be counted upon as a starter, Mattis remade himself into an incredibly effective, if not overpaid, reliever. But he has fallen off the shelf significantly in 2014, and I I just want to go through the splits for a moment if I can. Brian Mattis's opposing average is 226 against lefties, but 324 versus righties. His OBP against the lefties, 273, 412 for the righties. He slugs at, or the, the opposing slugging is 387 when it's lefties, 616 when it's righties. And the problem is he has more innings pitched as uh, when he faces right-handed hitters than lefties. 
The dude is a loogie, straight up and nothing more at this point. He's not being used that way, and he's not coming through. Bad. Bad, Brian Mattis. I think an individual that we completely missed at one of our earlier awards is a forgotten man, and that has to be the bad, which is Troy Patton. Troy Patton is an individual that was out for a significant period of time due to his drug issues in the offseason. And then when he came back, he pitched in nine games, six and two-thirds innings, and he only had 6.7 strikeouts per nine, 5.4 walks per nine. If that's going to be someone in the bullpen, you're not going to get much, much success. His exit there was 5.16. Yes, I realize that Brian Mattis is bad, but Troy Patton is even worse. Troy Patton, you're bad. You'd be ugly, but you're not on this team anymore, so you're just bad. All right, I'll take that. I, I, I came very close to picking him, so good good pick. My ugly is going to go to Evan Meek. Now, he, he's only given up four, uh, he's only given up earned runs in four of his appearances. So I want to, I want to start out by saying that sounds pretty good, right? Sure. In three of those appearances, he gave up four earned runs. This guy made the club out of spring training, but then proved that he just couldn't be depended upon. Everybody tried to make the meek inherited the earth joke on Twitter. I get it. That makes my hatred for this guy even stronger. Evan Meek is not a major league player. He's my ugly for the first half. Scott? Brian Mattis has to be the obvious ugly for the first half of this season. Um, He has the fourth worst XFIP in all of Major League Baseball. His splits against righties are absolutely atrocious. Jake, I think I could hit him being a right-hander. You're a left-hander, so you're screwed. But I'm a right-hander, so I think I could actually hit him pretty well. So Brian Mattis is making meager, terrible right-handers look like Look like Steve Pierce, really. So, Brian Mattis, you are ugly. In fact, I think your job might be on notice in terms of being the loogie specialist going forward. I think TJ McFarlane might be the individual to replace him long term. And any time that you're having your job taken by TJ Stash McFarlane, you are ugly. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Wilkes of the Orioles Uncensored podcast. This is John Wilkes from Orioles Uncensored presenting the Bartender, another round, Bevy. This award goes to the player who's most likely causing you to drink during games. While there are many deserving candidates, in the end, there can only be one winner. And the Bevy goes to, you bought a menace. Every start is taking years off my life and my liver. Don't worry, folks. Only three and a half more years to go. All right, it's that time. It's time for our last bevy of the evening. And for the last bevy, we're going to go ahead and give out the last Bird's Eye View Award, and that is the best Orioles comeback of the 2014 season. Now, we were treated to a lot of magic in 2012 and and still more in 2013. The Orioles of 2014 have had their fair share of comeback wins, and here are the four that we're going to highlight for you. The first was May 26th. The Orioles overcame the Milwaukee Brewers to win 7-6. After giving up an early 3-2 lead, the Birds relied on late-inning heroism from their newest addition, Nick Hundley, the catcher acquired from the Padres in exchange for the, the uh, lefty we just discovered or just discussed, Troy Patton. Now, he might not be the offensive presence that Matt Weider was, but for one day, he was good enough. Y- you know what, Scott? I'm not doing this right. Can we hear Joe Angel? Absolutely. Hardy off the bank at second base. Here comes the pitch. And Hundley lines it down the left field line. That's a base hit. 
Hardy turning third, being waved in, and the throw, too late. Hundley, how do you do? Welcome to Baltimore through Milwaukee. In the 10th inning, a big hit, and he has put his new team ahead. I think what might be more impressive is J.J. Hardy's running there. So good job for Nick Hundley, but J.J. Hardy... Another tip of the cap for uh, dynamic base running that we rarely see. And a good a good send by the windmill. Yes. Uh, next app, a game that we want to cover was June 23rd, 2014. Um, you know, Chris Davis was struggling mightily and had earned the night off. Um, the night off was to basically help him relieve some pressure and to, you know, get some mental stability. Maybe also get the Orioles a better chance to get in the win column for the night. So the Orioles scored two ones early, but they let the lead fall away. As the White Sox pour the runs on in the sixth and seventh inning, um, the White Sox took a four to two lead at that point, um, and the Orioles climbed back within one run with a Caleb Joseph home run. Um, and Buck Showalter went to the bench to find pinch hitter for Delman Young, and that's right, Young, who had done nothing but hit, he put in Chris Davis instead, and um, Davis hits a uh, three run homer, three hundred ninety nine feet into the night sky, to uh, send all the O's fans happy. Here's Joe Angel to tell us more about that call. And now the count three and two to the big fella. Davis back in the box. Belisario, standing tall, looks in. Big right-hander. Shakes one off. Now he says yes. And he's ready. Here it comes three and two. Breaking ball. Hit high and deep. Right center. Way back there. Way back there. Wave it bye-bye. The big fella, the loaded gun, off the bench. He delivers a pitch hit, three-run, game-ending home run. And the Orioles in the win column. I got to tell you, that never, ever gets old hearing Joe Angel call a important Chris Davis home run. Now, it's also a great game, too, because it's the situation of everyone in the stadium knew kind of what was going to happen, very similar to 2013 opening day when the bases are loaded and Chris Davis came to the plate. It's just like, all right, yeah, we know what's going to happen here. So great, great, great call by Joe Angel, but a great moment for the Orioles as well. Now, the next game I want to talk about is also in that Chicago White Sox series. There were, series, there were a couple of comebacks there. Um, in this one, the Orioles overcame a deficit to come back and win 5-4. to four. Uh, and, you know, here's the situation. The Orioles give up four runs through the first seven innings and stayed quiet until the eighth inning. But then things got loud in a hurry. Singles by Nick Hundley and Nick Marcakis and a walk by Chris Davis set up Nelson Cruz to tie the game. Now, they were depending on the home run hitter to do just that at a time when the team needed it the most. Seems like an impossible thing to ask, of course, until it did happen. Here's the call. He digs in. The count two and one. And the pitch on the way. Nelson, fly ball. Right center. Pretty well hit. Backing up, Sierra. Backing up. He's going to jump up. And that ball is gone. It's a grand slam. Oh, Nelly! His biggest home run this season. And he has tied the game in the bottom of the eighth inning. Sierra jumped Now, of course, that would only tie the game. Eventually, the Orioles would win on, of course, this is just the way it goes, a wild pitch which scored David Lowe, who only reached base as a pinch hitter. And uh, again, in the 12th inning, too. Here's the call to tell you all about it. 
Low the pinch runner at third. Marquecas at first after his fourth hit. And the pitch gets away from the catcher. Here comes David Lowe. Lowe towards the plate. He slides, and the Orioles win it. On a walk-off wild pitch, the Orioles pull it out. As Daniel Webb overthrows the pitch, it gets by the catcher Flowers. And that was actually an interesting play, too, because that was the play, too, right beforehand that David Lowe had run through third base, slipped, and you're like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. He's going to get tagged out in David Lowe style. But the Orioles managed to win that game um, with some magic from Nelson Cruz and also David Lowe, which who would have thought David Lowe might be a part of some Orioles magic. Um, Jake, the next game is July 2nd, 2014. Um, it took a little longer to celebrate this comeback due to a 98-minute rain delay in the eighth inning. But the game Woof. did, yeah, but the game did finish, um, but not without a little Orioles magic. The Orioles found themselves down four to one by the fourth, but started to come back with an Adam Jones home run, and they never looked back. The O's tied the game in the sixth and captured the scoring in the seventh with mm, different methods. So um, let's go through and go what this different method was. Flaherty open stance, first base side. Lefty to lefty, Cots pitch. Flaherty drive, deep right field. It's way back. It's going, going. Orioles have the lead. Ryan Flaherty with his fourth home run, the second tonight, their 105th of the year, and the Orioles lead it 5-4. to four. Whenever Ryan Flaherty hits a go-ahead home run, you know he's sleeping with your wife. Absolutely. Yes. So, um... Let's go through this again, and um, this is more the expected situation, too. I'm going to play this. And the Cots delivery to Adam. Broken bat looper toward left field, dropping, dropping in for the base hit. Rounding third, headed for the plate is Pierce. He will slide across the plate with the Orioles' second run of the inning, the sixth of the night. The Orioles lead it 6-4. to four. Adam Jones has driven in three runs tonight, now up to 52 RBI on all right, so those calls both made by Fred Manfra, who, you know, it's kind of nice to have him back in the booth. He's not my favorite broadcaster, but uh, it's been a pleasant surprise to notice how how nice it's been to have him back in the booth. But we put this to the voters uh, at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com, and the runaway favorite was a June 23rd game with Chris Davis hitting his pinch-hit dong. And so the award for best Orioles comeback goes to Chris Davis, and the Orioles for the 6-4 win over the Chicago White Sox. Thank goodness that's the absolute right call. All right, Scott, before we get out of here, something I want to revisit is the preseason predictions that we made in our episode before the season started. Um, So if you'll allow, I'm going to go ahead and review uh, my preseason predictions. We each made three. The first of mine was almost spot on in the fact that Tommy Hunter would lose his closer role, but I thought he would lose it to Ryan Webb. Now, my second prediction, totally off base. My second prediction was that uh, uh, Chris Davis would establish his value in 2014 for his walk year, whereas Matt Wieters would not. Womp womp. And my third, uh, my third prediction, we, we can't really judge right now. No, it's I, completely wrong. I said that we would, uh, the Orioles would increase their attendance by 500,000 over the course of the 2013 Com- season. Completely wrong. The attendance is actually down this year. Yikes. All right, well, you, look, smarty pants, what did you have for us? I had some brilliant observations. My first one was Zach Burton will rise to become the third starter in the rotation. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, I also went and said Nick Markakis will make his first all-star appearance. 
also very well done. Nice. And I said that the Orioles will go 600 winning percentage against all the American League East except for the Tampa Bay Rays, which the Orioles have done very well against the American League East, including the Tampa Bay Rays. So I'm going to give myself partial credit. I'm going to patch in the back. That could happen, that that 600 piece. It yes. could be better than that. Who knows? Yeah. All right, so let's do this. Let's make some mid-season projections or predictions for the last half of the season. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start off with this. I think Abaldo Jimenez is going to have a great second half and silence the critics, including you and I. Okay. Um, my mid-season prediction is Chris Davis turns it around during the second half of the season and goes on to finish with over 30 home runs. All right, I don't think that's that. He only has 13 right now. Okay, fine. Uh, will you will you indulge me in a second uh, midseason prediction? Go ahead. I want to go old home week here. All right? First, I think that Jake Arrieta is going to go on to pitch like a number two starter for the Cubs. Secondly, I think that Nolan Reimold is done for his career. And in the same vein, I think Brian Roberts retires after 2014. All right. I'm going to go in a different vein off of old home week, and I'm going to go down to the farm. My bold prediction for the midseason is Dylan Bundy will be traded at the trade deadline. Ooh, that is bold and yeah. interesting. Now, do you do you want to tell us who you think or, or what kind of player you think we're going to get for Dylan Bundy? I don't think it's going to be a, a great player. There's no way we're going to get like a David Price or anything like that. I think we'll get someone like um, an Ian Kennedy or someone that, in that area. So above average yikes okay well ladies and gentlemen that's going to do it here for the bevies the 2014 bevy awards we appreciate you making it through the show a, a little scott a little shorter than last year a little shorter than last year so that's good all right we've got some some thanks and and some credits to hand out the first is to our delightful announcer mr jovial j shepherd who is always great about making the time to be part of the bevies we really appreciate it now jovial j is a podcaster in his own right and you should check out he's got an arrow podcast and an agents of shield case files podcast both can be found via itunes and at randomchatter.com. Secondly, I would love to thank uh, our own uh, production assistant, my daughter Madison, who uh, whose voice was in the uh, in the opening, and who also saw through my madness as we as we prepped for this. And I'd like to also thank all our contributors that we had tonight. Everyone from the Baltimore Sports Report Network, OBP Apparel, um, Orioles Uncensored, uh, Utah Street Utah Report. Street Report. Um, thanks so much guys for coming on and just showing how great of a community Birdland really can be. Um, I'd also like to thank our wives and the rest, uh, the rest of our kids, including Madison English, um, for just pointing up with us every single Monday night and uh, allowing us to be segregated away in our little SD studios. Um, and again, thanks to all the listeners for making it all possible. The six of you out there that listen to us, make us keep wanting to do this every single week. We appreciate the feedback, and we love being part of Orioles baseball games with all of you. Uh, last thanks go to some of the friends of this program, and that is uh, Songs from the Moon, of course, for providing our great music for the intro and outro music that you hear each week. Oddly enough, not here on the bevies. 
Um, also, we're eternally grateful to OBP for uh, the great logo work that they've done with us. Also, for partnering with us on things like uh, the Birdland Bash, which is going to be on August 2nd. Also, uh, for uh, jumping in on post game live on channel BSR every once in a while, guys, we really appreciate that. Want to make sure that we shout out Baseball Talk Radio, where you can find our show listed amongst lots of others. Um, this network has a, a more MLB at large field, and we really like being a part of that. And last but certainly not least, in fact, most importantly, Scott mentioned it before, the Sister Wife podcast on the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Uh, we really appreciate all the support we get from you guys. We also are big fans of your shows and love listening each week to the BSR podcast, the Baltimoreans. Orioles Spastics, Section 336. Again, guys, keep up the good work, and thanks for keeping us honest. Scott, have I missed anything for the 2014 Bevy Awards? Jake, I can't think of a single thing that we have missed. It has been a great first half of the season. Let's hope that it can be even greater for second half, and who knows, maybe we'll uh, follow up with a Bevy's in October with a postseason edition. That's what I love to hear. So with that... Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a very special bevies adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore.